Another good morning. Good morning. <laughs> hey, if everybody could take their seats, we want to introduce our speaker today. So we want to introduce those of you who don't know, but I'm not sure who that is. But if it's you, we want to introduce Bruce Stratton. And he is, yeah, give him a clap. Yeah, because honestly, so many of our lives here have been changed because of Bruce. He has been our friend, one of our pastors. He's been our mentor for Brent and I. And we just really, with the, from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate and value and we want to honor him. Again, he is the face behind KSOM. So if you want to get in there, right there. And we just wanted to introduce him and pray for him. So, Lord, we just thank you for Bruce, the, the man that he is. And we just ask, Lord, that you would turn the soil in our hearts this morning for the words that you've put inside of him. Holy Spirit, that you would come and just uh, all the things I know, Lord, the, the richness of the things, Lord, that you've just deposited in this man. We just uh, open up to all that you want to speak to us today. We receive you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> I love you. Love y'all. And if I was from the real south, it'd be uh, I loved all y'all. You know, we learned that from John Paul Jackson. It's all y'all. Um, what a pleasure to be here. What an honor. It honestly is a privilege to be here. Um, Mike's our senior leader, and he does a pretty fantastic job of holding this thing together for 26 years. And um, I mean, it really is. In, um, Quite a stalwart statement to say that to exist in South Orange County with a spiritual church is quite a quite a feat. And the worship band was amazing today. Thank you. Um, there's there's not a worship band that we have that isn't amazing. Um, but and then Aaron and, and Brent, I mean, love you both so much. Uh, this is kind of Brent's inaugural return in a sense this morning where he got up on stage. God bless Brent. And all his recovery. Brent's a, a really good man. He's an important, uh, you know, figurehead and uh, person in this church that really God was beginning to is, is beginning to do some really amazing things in for us. And uh, I think we evidenced that a little bit more this morning. So really glad to see Brent and Aaron uh, step into what God has for him. Um, Hallelujah. Well, I have enough notes here for a couple hours. That's kind of how I'm, I'm wired. Um, I just think kind of universally all the time. Um, sometimes it's specific. And, you know, in the course of, you know, having the opportunity to teach and to share, there's there's so many different ways of doing it. You know, uh, Ed Pjork, our good, good buddy, Eddie, you know, he's got a three-point outline, and uh, that's what he does every time. Uh, but it's always amazing and, and, am and amazing. And uh, Mike does his approach, and I, I know sitting back there being this guy that likes to study the scriptures a lot, I have about 10 approaches myself. I'm that guy. I like the variety. So what you have before you uh, this morning is I have an aggressive um, kind of task ahead of me. I, I want to talk to you about Paul, Paul and the Philippians, and I want to, I want, if I have the time, I would love to review the whole book of Philippians. Um, I can tell you this. If you read the book of Philippians out loud to yourself, and you have a stopwatch, it'll take you between 12 and 14 minutes. So that's all it takes. 
12 or 14 minutes to read the book of Philippians. Um, hopefully, I'll give you a little more understanding today, although I don't think it's very difficult to understand. Uh, the book of Philippians is pretty direct. Paul, the apostle, was a man that didn't really mince words. He was very elaborate in his uh, understandings of who the Godhead are and what the Godhead does for us in the form of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, in the form of, you know, Abba Father, uh, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the Holy Spirit that comes in comfort and power. Paul gave us all that language. Um, I'm, I'm, never, I'm never unimpressed by the Apostle Paul. So but if, you, if we can, I don't know what we'll be able to get on the screen here because it's a kind of an ambitious thing to, to get it all up there. But if you can go to Acts chapter 16, um, I brought my Bible up here uh, because it's kind of what I live by. I know that we all have phones that we live by. So instead of pulling out your Bible, pull out your phone, okay? And, um, you know, one thing you might do in pulling out your phone, uh, you can kind of even do that right now, is Google um, Paul's second missionary journey into Asia Minor and Macedonia. Because that's really what took place here. If, um, while I'm talking, you want to pull that up, you can. So if you're looking down at something, you can be reading your own book if you want to. I don't care. Anyway, so you look at the map. Well, I would, if I had the ability to show you a map, I would, so it's kind of the top of the GNC. And if you were looking at a map, um, you'd be coming on Turkey this side and Greece on this side, and Macedonia, Macedonia is the very top of that GNC. And Paul and his travels, of course, came you know, back and forth from Jerusalem and all the way to Corinth and parts of Greece. And Macedonia is the very northern part of Greece. And that's where our story uh, actually kind of begins. And um, so, like I said, I got enough notes up here. But anyway, Acts chapter 16, I'm going to read this. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit, but I just want to get the story down. And the reason I want to read the scriptures a lot today is that I think, from my perspective, um, is that this is the book that is going to outlast every one of us. Uh, the next generation that comes along and hears about this person named Jesus Christ, they're going to read this book to find out what that means. They're going to find out who Moses was, who Abraham was, who Joseph was. They're going to find out who Isaiah was. And they're going to find out who Jesus is. You know, because Jesus is always. And this is the book that goes on forever. And um, my testimony, my encounters, my personal prophetic words, my carpet time, my weeping time, my laughing time, my worship time, that goes with me to eternity as a personal deposit that God made in my life. But this is the deposit that every generation goes to to find out what God's done. And I was thinking about it in this uh, frame of reference this morning too, is that as we took communion today, we celebrated the new covenant, right? But in the Bible, we have what we call the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. And it's really not the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. They are testimonies of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So the New Testament is a testimony of the New Covenant. You want to know what the testimony we should have is as New Covenant people? It's in the New Testament. As we read the New Testament, it conforms us into the image of Christ, who is the blood offering poured out for us. 
That's the best way for us to be conformed. It's through the scriptures being bred into our souls to change who we are. And the word soul in the Hebrew, we'll talk about that later too, in the fashion means not only mind, will, and emotion, but it means personality. Our souls begin to transform by the scriptures because we're reading them because it becomes our testimony of becoming a new covenant people. So this morning, if we go to Acts chapter 16, uh, open up your phones. <laughs> anyway. Um, then he came to Derbe and Lystra. Then behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, uh, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to give him uh, to go. He wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the region, for they knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in daily number. Now right there we have something we need to talk about. It says here that he went through the cities and delivered the decrees which they were supposed to keep. Just the previous couple of chapters, Paul is down there in Jerusalem talking to the disciples, and they're having a controversy about circumcision. And the Jewish believers, some of them were falsely proclaiming that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And James the Apostle and everybody decided, no, that's not true. You don't need to be circumcised to be saved. So this says that what Paul did then is go to these churches and declare, you don't need circumcision to be saved. But he said, Timothy, you're going to get circumcised before you go. You're like, say what? Weren't we just in that meeting where I didn't have to do this? And, uh, you know... What Paul's saying is, well, I want to be all things to all people, and if we are called to go to the Jewish people, we need to not have a lifestyle that offends them. Because I'll do anything I can to win somebody for Christ. So if you can do this for me, Timothy, then I know that will not be a stumbling block to them coming to faith in their Messiah. And that's why he did it. So it's just important to know this story. And then we get to this great little section here, verse 6, says, now, when they had gone through... Phygria and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they came to Messiah, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing through Mysa, or however you say that, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man from Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called him to preach the gospel to them. So here's Paul, basically, in a sense, meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, kind of disappearing for 13 years in what was called Arabia, which was a huge whole swath of the Middle East. It's almost like saying, well, I'm going to disappear in America for a while. You know, Saying Arabia was the modern, larger part of the world. So Paul's gone for all those years, and then he hits the trail with Barnabas, and now he's picked up Timothy, and Luke is always with him, because Luke is the one recording this whole story anyway. So whenever there's an us, it's Luke saying us. Paul, I, Timothy, in this case, also Silas. And so there he is, and he wants to go basically to what would be known as the Black Sea. He wants to go to the upper part of Turkey, Asia. And the Holy Spirit says, nope, not happening. What do you mean not happening? 
nope, not happening. If you, can, you go, I'm not going with you. Kind of reminds you of Moses. You know, Father, if you don't go with us, we're not going. Paul went, well, if you're not going with me, I'm not going. So then he had a vision. And in this vision, it says immediately he sought to go to Macedonia. And I thought about that. I thought, wow, if somebody's been a Christian for a year, and all of a sudden they have a dream, go to India. They're like, I'm going right now. Everybody's like, dude, slow down. You don't know. There is a maturity in Paul at this point as to why he went immediately, right? I just think you want to write down there, he was a mature believer. He had been walking with Jesus now 20 years. That's why the immediately was immediate. Because he then knew and tested out the voice of the Lord. He tested it out with other believers. He tested it out with the apostles. He tested it out in the wilderness. And so it's important to know that for us to be led by the Spirit, we want to be mature in the Spirit. Then it says, therefore, verse 11, sailing from Troas, we ran straight across to the course of uh, Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and there to Philippi, which was the foremost city of the part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so, so she persuaded us. So in, this, in this, out, this story here in the book of Acts, chapter 16, this is where Paul meets the people of Philippi. So when you said, when did the book of Philippians begin? This is when it began, when Paul met the people. And it's always an interesting kind of study to look at the scriptures that way. So here's this letter that Paul wrote. Well, why did he write a letter to those people? This is the why. He wrote a letter to them because he knew them. You know, Paul didn't randomly write letters and asking for money. Um, he, he wrote letters telling people he loved them and missed them. And I want to get to that, too, is just the, the whole nature of relationship is so important in the kingdom of God. It's in, certainly important in my life, uh, relationships. So, so as uh, one of the first three, of the three things that kind of happened there, as he gets to Philippi, he first of all accepts the Macedonian call, we commonly call it, and the Holy Spirit told him where to go. Then when he went there, he had a meeting, and Lydia got saved. Lydia was a wealthy businesswoman. And then her whole household got saved, and they got baptized. And then this is the next thing that happens. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit from fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us, crying out and saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, 
to receive and observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates threw off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. This is the treatment you get for setting people free from a demonic possession. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Thank you very much. Right? I mean, seriously. Um, so what's interesting about this, in, in a sense, to me, is that uh, it says that she had a spirit of divination. Now, interestingly enough, the word divination in the Greek is python. Puthos. That's the word in the Greek. If you have an interlinear, if you're one of those kind of people, look it up. It doesn't, it's not like divination is translated. The translators decided that they wanted to use the word divination for the word puthos. So let me tell you what this word means. Um, it's out of Zondervan Illustrated Bible Background Commentary. Uh, it's this word books that I have. Uh, chapter 16, it says this, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Paul discerns this slave girl, an evil spirit or a demon that enables her to practice divination. Following the example of Jesus and basing on the authority of his name, Paul firmly commands the demon to leave and it promptly obeys. Paul's method leaves an impression of awe and curiosity on many who witnessed the event. It also was an unusual for any other pagan shaman or exorcist to seek to remove a python spirit, which was thought to be a good and healthful spirit, not a malevolent one. Of course, for Paul, this is part of the deception of idolatry. This attitude towards the python spirit is consistent with his Jewish background, which taught that a person who has a python spirit and, quote, speaks from his armpits or, quote, has a familiar spirit. I'm like, wow, what is, what is the interesting stuff to me, you know? It's like, what really happened back there, right? That's what I always ask myself. What really happened back there? How did they deal with it? Um, is it here with us today? Those kind of questions. So it goes on to say, in subsequent history of the church, python spirits are seen as evil and are subject to exorcism. Oregon, who was a writer, one of the early church fathers in around 175, 230, Oregon, his writing speaks of some who have been under the influence of the demon called python. Therefore, listen to this, a ventriloquial spirit. I'm like, that's a good word. Uh, from the commencement of their existence, a ventriloquial spirit. What, is, what does a ventriloquist do? They have a voice that's not their own. You ever heard a demon speak out of anybody? It's a voice that's not their own. How would, what a weird thing. Come out of you, you ventriloquial spirit. Um, um, I don't know how they work for, uh, what's his name? Anyway, um, goes on to say that... Uh, Another early church leader observes, quote, for Python's prophecy, they are cast out by us as demons and put to flight. The earlier leader is a guy named, it's called the Clementine Homilies. And uh, it was letters that um, St. Clement, who was actually one of the first popes of Rome, uh, wrote back and forth uh, with a man. And in these, he has conversations, this guy tells, he tells a story of having conversations with the Apostle Peter when he ran into what's called Simus of, Simon of Magus. We call him Simon the Sorcerer, right? So they're having conversations about what did Peter do when he met the sorcerer, the sorcerer person? You know, he didn't have a python spirit then, but this guy did. 
So that's kind of the story behind this one little simple word called divination. Now, what this really tells me, too, is that um, in the story, and there's one last story in uh, Acts chapter 16, and that's when Paul, in jail, him and Silas are in jail because they, they basically were upsetting the economy of the city by stopping this girl from speaking from demons that the man had owned. And the man felt like his pocketbook was hurt Therefore, he goes to the city council meeting and says, he's ruining my business and he's changing our culture. This guy should go to jail. Sound like anything we're dealing with today? They want to change our culture. It's like, they're just, they're bad. We need to put them in jail. And Paul and Silas are like, <laughs> so it says they get into jail. And it says at midnight, it says, but at midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisons were listening to them. You know, I love you, Lord. You know, they're in jail at midnight. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Love Jesus. And they're like, these guys must be out of their minds. Well, they're in the spirit. I don't know if they're out of their minds or not. But um, suddenly it says there was a great earthquake. And so the foundations were shaken. And then it goes on to say that then the jailer, you know, felt that he was going to have to kill himself if all the prisoners escaped. He calls, and Paul calls out and says, actually, we're down here. It's okay. And the jailer's like, oh, my gosh. Well, then the jailer, you know, it goes on to say in verse uh, 29, it says, Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, the jailer did. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This whole thing caused the jailer to want to get saved. Because the earthquake hit, they wouldn't run away, and they're praising God at midnight. And, you know, he probably knows the whole story about this girl divination now being in her right mind. I mean, we're not talking about a big town here, right? I mean, I don't know, what is there, 10,000 people in it, you know, Philadelphia at that time? Or, uh, I'm sorry, Phil, uh, Philippi. So um, it says, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. Well, this is what it says in verse 31. So, so they said, the they is probably Luke and Silas and Paul maybe, or maybe just Paul and Silas. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You and your household. I looked at this the other day and I thought, now Paul and Silas. Silas was actually known as a prophet that came from Antioch. I think Paul and Silas looked at him and prophesied to him and says, if you get saved, your whole hostel is getting saved. You know, because sometimes we look at the Bible and we say, this is my promise. But I think sometimes we can look at the Bible and say, this is a prophetic word. And I think what it says, and they looked at him and they said, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved and your household will come with you. I remember reading this as a young Christian. I thought, great, I'm going to get saved. My, all my family's going to get saved. Well, they're still not saved. You know, so um, my parents uh, went to eternity, and uh, that's that story. So um, the uh, interesting to me, though, that it says, verse 32, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. In other words, they took care of the... Paul and Silas, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. It came to pass that night. His whole family. I mean, I think when, you know, when there is an active prophetic word that really has some, as we would say, heat behind it. Um, and I, as I was preparing, I thought, you know, there probably is somebody here that's going to receive this as a prophetic word to them. That I think if you do give your heart to Christ, I think your whole family will be saved.
And then it goes on to say that they want to let Paul go. Paul really doesn't like that idea very much. Um, so he kind of argues with them and um, argues with the magistrates. Says, well, actually, I'm a Roman citizen. Therefore, you just can't let me go like this. This isn't right. You beat me up, arrested me under no just cause. So, I mean, he's now appealing to the magistrate that really listened to getting put in jail in the first place. Now he's pleading his case and saying, hey, you know what? This was unjust. So in the course of the civilization in which he lived, he didn't know his, his uh, political rights. But he actually knew who he was serving. He was serving Christ. That's all he was there to do, to serve Christ. Like he says in Philippians, for me to, um, yeah, for Christ and me, I'll die. That's basically what he said. Um, so then, um, so in the, in the outline here, I, I kind of am aware, so I wrote down that Lydia baptized, slave girl delivered, and jailer served. And then we get to the second uh, instance where it talks where Paul goes back to Philippi, and that's Acts chapter 20. It's a very short story because he just sort of drives by as there a couple of days. I think it's three or four days. So the story here is that Paul was not in Philippi a long, long time. He's actually in the Ephesian church for years, but he's only in Philippi for a short period of time. And in being in Philippi for a short period of time, he developed a real affinity and love for them. But I think what also happened is they developed a real affinity and love for him. So consider this. A guy comes into town. He meets some rich businesswoman. She gets saved in her own household. And then he's in the marketplace. This whole demonic fiasco takes place. The girl gets set free from a demon. You know, the business, that, the guy that's kind of running her life gets mad. And then when he goes to jail, the jailer gets saved. Everybody gets saved in that household. Signs followed Paul, you know. That's why he's the great apostle Paul. When he comes to town, he leaves a supernatural imprint. And they were like, who is this guy? It's like it says about the book of the beginning of the book of Acts. It says to Jesus, it says both um, what he did and what he taught. And this is what happened in Philippi. Paul did something, and then he taught something. What did he really teach? He taught us the book of Philippians. That's what I'll say in one context. I mean, certainly he had something to say about Jesus or Lydia wouldn't have gotten saved. And certainly he had something to say to the jailer or they wouldn't have gotten saved. And when he cast out the python spirit in the name of Jesus, they knew exactly how he did it. He did it by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. So he was demonstrating something of the power of the kingdom of God. And they went, we got to believe in this. You know, we're going to go to this guy's house. We need to find out what this guy got to say. And that's really a wonderful thing. So this is the testimony of the new covenant that you and I read and say, this is really meaningful to my own soul. This is changing me. This is what I believe. You know, It's active and alive. Cuts asunder into the soul and spirit and then joints the mirror of my heart and it, it helps bring me life. So, um, interestingly enough, um, you know, before we even got to Acts 20, um, he, Paul, um, was in Ephesus, and kind of the same thing happened. He started preaching the gospel, and Demetrius the silversmith, who was making idols of uh, Artemis the Great, Paul began to say, don't buy those idols. Worship the tr true God. And they're like, yeah, we're not buying those dumb idols anymore. So Demetrius went to the city council and goes, hey, he's ruining my business. In fact, he's changing our whole culture. How can he possibly do this? 
Well, that's kind of what the apostolic word of God does. It changes culture and it takes away everything that people are doing that's evil that brings the money. And people don't want you touching their money, right? <laughs> I don't want them touching my money, <laughs> you know? Um, but that's why we're following Jesus. So if we then turn to the book of Philippians, it's 1130. I could choose to just read the book. But I think what we'll do is comment on it first. Um, as far as uh, the city of Philippi goes, um, what I find interesting, too, is that it was founded like in 357 B.C. or something like that, or before the Common Era, as we're supposed to say now, um, uh, you know, by Greek colonies, and that's when they started this little, uh, what they call, center of Macedonia. Thessalonica was actually more of the hub city, more the capital city of Macedonia. Philippi was the first city, and it has that recognition. As church history goes on from the point of Paul going there and starting this church, there were a couple of basilicas that were erected, um, as well as today, if you went there, uh, they actually have a prison cell that they claim is the one that Paul and Silas were in. Of course, it's all legend. They don't really know, uh, but it's a good tourist attraction. You know, This is where Paul was. You know, So um, we go there and we go, wow, what was it like worshiping God at midnight? So, and it's all kind of cool because we get in the moment, get in the place, and you know, encounter kind of the spirit of the Lord about what it would have been like to be in this dungeon jail. Uh, but in Philippi, uh, that exists today. Now, as far as these two basilicas go, you'll never guess what happened. One of them got destroyed by an earthquake. I'm like, how ironic or coincidental or godly or whatever. But, um, I mean, it's like, is Paul and Silas are in jail and they have an earthquake and get set free? You know, the townspeople of Philippi are like, hey, let's build a basilica here. And they have an earthquake and destroy the whole thing. I'm like, didn't you read your history? Um, but I think of the old phrase, you know, uh, location, location, location. That's the best thing about real estate. I'm like, don't build anything here. Earthquakes. <laughs> Just, uh, so, um, and, uh, but Philippi is a shadow of what it once was, which is also another story in and of itself is that, you know, as you go see the ruins of the early churches in Turkey and uh, Asia Minor and, and uh, Greece, you know, you have these uh, columns of stone that are still there, right? And some stone rubble, and this is a little room here, and this little room there. And whether you're seeing it in Jerusalem, seeing it in Italy, or seeing it, uh, you know, in the churches of Asia, Asia Minor, what you're looking at is those churches no longer exist. Because the things of this life don't exist forever. You do. You are what's eternal in this room. Everything else is temporal. Your soul is eternal. Your personality is eternal. Your life in Christ is eternal. That's why we come to Christ. Because it's through the power of his blood that we break the power of death and have life forever. And that is the Christian hope. You know? Because granted, in this life, everything's just not easy, is it? So it isn't about receiving Jesus and everything. Everything is greased and wonderful and we have no problems and everybody in the family gets along and you know, your boss at work just loves you and everything's cool. Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation. He goes, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I'm like, well, good for you, Jesus, because i got to live through this thing right now. So. <laughs> That's a Bruce Stratton commentary right there. Um, i got to suffer through this thing and trust in you. Just kidding. Um, so one of the... Um, 
you know, kind of transitions that I went through in getting ready for this, this Sunday was to, you know, kind of ponder some things. Well, as, as the Kingdom School of Ministry kind of ended at the end of June and I was kind of not having a lot of responsibilities for a while, I find myself not reading the Bible or reading the Bible or just sort of, you know, trying to take a break. Um, but then sometimes what we do is, is we take a break from God and then we find ourselves not as edified, right? Like, well, I'm just going to take a little time off. Like, I'm just not going to drink water for a couple of days. Well, that's not very smart. You know what I mean? Well, I'm just not going to eat anything for a couple of days. Well, that might work, but, um, you know, sometimes we try to adjust and go, okay, well, I'm just going to take a break, right? You ever do that? I'm just going to take a break. And then all of a sudden, you end up in Psalm 42, which is where I found myself. As a deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, oh God. I'm like, ah, you know, like, um, you know, it just, I found my soul in that place. And maybe it is because I was so active for a number of months and doing the things I love and being edified in the midst of all that was like, now that's gone, so it's missing. But, you know, we do have those times in our lives where things are really wonderful for a while and then all of a sudden they're not. The activity is not happening and making us all happy. And then we got to figure out a way to get happy again, right? And how, how do I get this back, you know? And it's not like living on a mountaintop every single day of your life. It's having your soul be nourished at any place in life, uh, which is actually part of the story of the Philippians as well. But it's going to say this, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food, day and night, while they continually save me. Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with a multitude, and I went with them to the house of God. And with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you downcast, O my soul? O my soul, why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. So... I'll just sort of stop here and not read it all, but two things are true. What he began to reflect on was corporate worship. What he, get, what he began to reflect on is, man, when I, we would, when I would lead to the house of praise, we were on our way to the temple. Now, I don't know the background of the story. I don't know if it can be known, but in the Jewish culture, they met three times for three festivals a year. So we know at least three times a year he had the, the us, he had the corporate. Maybe he was that long stretch between feasts and he's just going, man, I really miss the people of God. Well, I think most of you are here today because the worship that we encounter today fed your soul. Right? I mean, if there's one thing this church and churches I've been in my whole life have offered me is a place to come here and go, it is so good to be in the house of God that I am not who I am without this house. I'm not who I am without you in my life. My, my life is just not something I live by myself. My life, my life is something I live in relationship and in community with my friends, you know, and with this church, with everything that goes on in this church. And uh, it means everything in the world to me. Well, I just want to say this because I looked it up, but it's in verse chapter, uh, chapter 5. It says, For the help of his countenance, it says, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. 
In other words, when I behold the countenance of God, it helps me. That's what this is saying. Countenance in Hebrew is panim, which is the same word for face of God. So when I see the face of God, this helps me. Right? The word help is Yeshua. Jesus shows me the face of God. Jesus is my helper and my salvation. That's what Yeshua means. So Yeshua and his Panim. Jesus and the face of the Father. This is what encourages me. Being with you and beholding his face in the face of Jesus. So that got me to, I really need people, you know. So as I begin to read Philippians, and we'll obviously, you know, just have to kind of dabble in this a little bit. I'll do the best I can to land this thing at the right appropriate time. Is that um, what you find in the first couple of verses is this. Philippians chapter 1. I, Paul, and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, and with the bishops and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think of this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch in both in my chains and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And I pray this, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's first thing that he says to the Philippian people is, I really miss you. You really mean a lot to me. In fact, as he's sitting in the jail in Rome writing this letter, uh, we know that he probably made his first journey to Philippi in around 53, 54 AD. He was back there again in 57, and now it's probably about 62 or 63 AD. So a 10-year span has taken place. He's seen him a couple of times in his whole lifetime. And when he's in jail, he thinks, those Philippians, I don't really like those people. Those people are awesome. Those people made a difference in my life. And the Philippians are probably thinking, this guy made a difference in our life. That's that mutual love that you have in Christ for one another. And it makes a difference in your life, and it makes a difference in my life. It makes a difference in the community. But... So then I wanted to read it to you in the message translation. I'm one of those kind of characters that once I get on this kind of thing, like the book of Philippians, I'll read it in the New King James, I'll read it in the NIV, I'll read it in the New Living Translation, I'll read it in the message translation. I'll look up some words in the, in the original language. I might read a commentary about Python spirits and, um, and things like that. You know, I want to really dig in. But this is, this is how the message translation um, reiterates it, which is, you know, Eugene Peterson is the translator of this, but I was a little lonesome, but he's a scholar, and I think he did a, a really well-done job. Uh, but verse 3, he would say this, you know, every time you cross my mind, 
I break out in exclamations of thanks to God. Each exclamation is a trigger to prayer. I find myself praying for you with a glad heart. I am so pleased that you have continued on in this with us, believing and proclaiming God's message from the day you heard it right up to the present. There was never been the slightest doubt in my mind that God, who started this great work in you, would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Jesus Christ appears. It's not at all fanciful for me to think about you this way. My prayers and hopes have deep roots in reality. You have, after all, st stuck with me all the way from the time I was thrown in jail, put on trial, and came out of it in one piece. Yeah. Referencing the time the jailer, right? All along you have experienced with me the most generous help from God. He knows how much I love and miss you these days. Sometimes I think I feel as strongly about you as Christ does. The, the heart of the apostle, the heart of Paul, was just genuinely real. Um, some people read uh, the New Testament, they read the writings and the epistles of Paul, and I think the guy sounds kind of harsh because um, he's telling you what to do, and none of us like to be told what to do. Um, but, you know, Paul, he had a real heart for people. He really had a heart for the Philippians. I mean, the guy's sitting in prison right now going, almost like Psalm 42, saying, man, I really long to be with the, the people of God. Rejoice, O my soul. Paul's in, the, in jail in Rome saying, man, I really wish I could get back with the Philippian people. And part of the letter he does say, you know, I, I hope I can come see you again. But if I can't come see you again, I'm going to send back Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was one in whom they sent to Paul in Thessalonica. They wanted to give Paul some money. They just thought, we just want to bless this guy. He made a total change in our city. We want to help him, so send some money. So he sent Epaphroditus. And then the Philippians find out that he got sick along the way and almost died. And so part of this letter that he writes to the Philippians is, by the way, yeah, Epaphroditus did almost die, but by the mercy of God he lived. And thank God he did, because now I get to send him back to you of a report of how good I'm doing and how much you mean to me. So he's going to carry this letter back to you, saying how endeared I am to you in my life. And then the second one he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. you know, and we know that Timothy was with him on this journey, the first journey that he went to the uh, town of Philippi. And he says, and I'm going to send Timothy back to you too. You know, Ten years later, I'm sending Timothy because he represents me. In fact, Paul says, he really represents me well, but he represents Christ better than even me. Because it isn't about me, it's about him representing Christ. And that's all that mattered to Paul, is how well do you represent Christ? You know, like he says to Ephesians, in a sense, live a life worthy of the calling. You know, that's our call. That's the call of the new covenant. Live a life worthy of the calling. You know, he shed his blood, now live a life. Live a life that makes a difference uh, for other people. So I, I love the message translation in, in this. Now, if, if I go on, it's, um, in fact, the main outline here, we'll just talk about this briefly. Um, sure, there's all kinds of things to talk about. Um, but the general outline would be this is that chapter 1 is Paul and the people and Paul and Christ. Chapter 2 is having the attitude of Christ in you, of which he never thought of himself more highly than he ought to. 
which is a great message for any one of us. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. You know, consider yourselves. You're just like everybody else. You know, in fact, every one of us have probably some brokenness in our life somewhere, just guessing. We probably have a relationship that isn't just perfect right now, you know, that kind of dogs us in our souls. But you know what? We have that in common. It doesn't separate us, it binds us together. Have a humility about yourself. Um, goes on to say, chapter 3, uh, the priceless value of knowing Christ. That would be the New King James kind of outline. If you ever read your Bible, and it's got little outline things there. Actually, it's kind of brilliant. I call it building a scaffolding. You know, the scaffolding out here on the side of the building, and then you can look at every single window or look at every single brick. It's like sometimes outlines for uh, letters, uh, any book of the Bible, to help you at least get some framework for where is everything going. All for Christ, press towards the goal, and then finally with words of encouragement, be anxious for nothing, and really the story of the Philippian generosity, which was the generosity of them sending money through Epaphroditus to Paul. And Paul was thanking them for the money. And he said, I really don't need it anyway. I mean, we know he's a tent builder. Paul never went around shaking down any church for money. Just saying, that's what apostles should do. It's not about the money you give them. It's about the life they give you. In fact, Paul would say many times in his letters to all the churches, he'd say, you know, in my death works your life. i got to die to self to do this. In fact, I've always, you know, he'd say in 2 Corinthians, I've been beat up more times than you can imagine, you know, with stripes on my back of 39 times and thrown in prisons and left for dead on the seashores. I mean, Paul gave everything so people would find out who Jesus Christ is. And it's, it's all about Jesus. It's all it's about. How are you doing in Jesus? How am I doing in Jesus? Um, there's... Um, Chapter 2, let's just I'll briefly go there. I don't know if she can get up there or not, so I'll have to read it to you. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection of mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of the one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look now up for his own interests, but also the interests of others. This is the core of the Christian life. It's not about you. Uh, Paul said at one point, too, in the letters, I think to Thessalonians, he said, um, he said, bear your own burden. And a couple of verses later, he says, bear one another's burdens. Well, what is it? You bear your own burden, and then I bear your burden, too. It's not, you bear my burden. <laughs> you know, that's the victim mentality. It's all your fault. You bear my burden. If it goes wrong for me, you did something. No. You do what's right for you, and you do what's right for them. You know? It's at the expense of your own soul you make yourself better, and at the expense of your own soul you make somebody else's life better. And that's what Paul did. He said, I lay down my life, and through my death becomes life for you. And that to me is the mark of a true apostolic word, apostolic messenger. Verse 5 says this, and let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Oops, where am I? And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. 
Therefore God is all highly exalted and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those in heaven and on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no greater reality than Jesus Christ is Lord. Goes on to say in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So you working out your salvation may cause you some fear and trembling, kind of the uh, OMG kind of approach. But it's God who works in you to will and do of his good pleasure. So who's it on? It's on God. If God doesn't do this work in me to conform me to the image of his son, I'm just doing religious stuff. Religious stuff gets me religious stuff. Letting God work in my soul gets God in my soul. Sometimes that's really uncomfortable, right? Sometimes it's really glorious. We all like the times of glory. We don't like the times of discomfort. <laughs> you know, We like the times when God says, you're amazing. We don't like the times when he says, you're going to be disciplined. You're like, wait a minute. No, no, that's just part of the deal. It's part of a relationship with the living God. He wants to conform us to the image of his son. It's Jesus doing the work in us, and that's why we have fellowship one with another. We're fellowshipping about what God is doing in us. And we get to and we talk about the stories. The word fellowship in the Greek is koinonia, and it really means intimacy, participation, contribution. Intimacy. We're intimate with one another. This is what's really going on. Participation. How can I help? Contribution. How can I help? How can I actually give my life away and actually this is who I am? as ugly as it may be on the inside. Those of you that have great friends have great transparency. You don't have great friends without great transparency. You don't have a great marriage without great transparency. If you're hiding from your spouse, you and your spouse aren't getting along. Come out from hiding. Show your heart. Your spouse married you because they love you for who you are. They might even love you more than you love yourself. In fact, at times, that's probably very true. Because they don't know the wickedness in our own heart that day. They're like, I love you. You're like, man, if you only knew. <laughs> it's reality, isn't it? I mean, that's really who we are. So in fellowship, we open up our souls. We open up our lives. And people begin to even love us more because it's like, wow, you actually are human. People like humans. You know? I know my wife likes me when I'm human. <laughs> One of my favorite verses in Philippians is this, um, chapter 3, verse 12. And as he kind of reiterates before that it's about the resurrection of Christ and him being conformed to the image of Jesus, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I might lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended it, but one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, 
God will reveal it, even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. It was... His heart was, I'm, tr I'm trying to attain this. I haven't done it yet. But I also pray that you would press into that which what God called you for. That's, that's kind of one of the things I always sort of talk about with the kingdom school is I want you to lay hold of that which God laid hold of you for. The school is not to conform you to the image of anything. It's to help you be conformed to the image that God's calling you to walk in. You need to be the, you need to be the best version of you because God redeemed you. He redeemed your story. He redeemed your family. He redeemed your destiny. God's redeemed it all. How do we find out what that really looks like? How do we become the best person we are? We press in, we take hold, we forget what lies behind. What does forget what lies behind mean? For Paul, it could have been a couple of things. It could have been that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. It could have been, I'm so smart and I know so much. I've got to lay that down. That's not, the, that's not what it's about. It's about Christ. Or he could have said, you know what? I used to go murder Christians. And now I'm going trying to bless them. He goes, if that pops up in his head before he goes and talks, it's going to be, I used to kill you people, and I'm trying to tell you I love you. You've got to forget that stuff. We have things in our life we need to just put behind us and forget in order to move on. You know? If we don't forget some stuff, it dogs us. You know, we don't want it to dog us. We want to be free. Uh, now, if it's conviction they're being dogged by, that's different. <laughs> then you got to yield to the Holy Spirit. So it, it says at the end of this letter, uh, I think it's verse 10, chapter 4, it says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at least your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked, uh, but surely did care, but lacked opportunity. Not that I seek in regard to need, for I have learned that whatever state I'm in, to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He says, I realized that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What are the all things he can do through Christ? He can learn to have a lot, and he can learn to have a little. It wasn't like he can learn to do whatever he wants. The context of this is he can learn to have nothing and he can learn to have a lot. Or sometimes we're all fearful of our future, about what we might have. Paul realized, I don't care what I have in my future. I don't care what I have right now. My contentment is in Christ. And he goes on to say, and I thank God for you because you helped and, and supported me and blessed me in my time of need. And I want to end with this um, little note that you may or may not be aware of, if I can find it, which is possible, is that the other day um, I read uh, something of Mark DuPont online. And uh, Mark DuPont's a man that's come by here, right? He's a, call him like a traveling ministry, traveling prophetic voice. And uh, of course I can't find that thing right now. Um, I will find it here somewhere, is that uh, he wrote something in um, a little blog on, to anybody who gets his emails. And in it, he reiterated, well, I guess I won't be able to read it because I can't find it. Um, I'll find it when I'm done. Uh, oh, come on. 
I wanted to staple it together. Maybe that's my problem. This is called humanity up here in your display. God told my notes. God stole my notes. Um, so, um, can't believe he did that to me right now. He's so tricky. So, Mark DuPont wrote this blog, and um, in it, he was kind of start out saying that, you know, sometimes people go church shopping from time to time, and they're looking for a denomination or a presence or a people or a great speaker, or they're looking for this, that, and the other. And he says that, you know, there's this young man that he met, and this uh, young man was named Michael. And he actually met him a couple of years ago, and it's, it's actually a phenomenal story. Uh, he may have told it when he was here, but I don't recall. Uh, it was about two years ago, and uh, this guy, Michael, who, who he had met, um, who was, I, Michael was from Idaho, Mark DuPont lives in San Diego. This guy, Michael, had a dream, and he wanted to meet Mark DuPont, so he came to this church. And it was actually a couple of meetings we had for the Kingdom School on Friday and Saturday. And Mark's like, hey, can this guy join in? I'm like, I guess so. Because uh, if you all know me, that's, that's how I fly. And so we brought the guy, Michael, in. So what Mark was reflecting on in this letter that he wrote to everybody that gets his newsletter is that when this guy came, he was greeted with such love and such appreciation and such warmth that two years later, he's still talking about it. That was this church. They looked out for his interests more than they looked out for his own. So when he left this church, he went, they actually really cared about me. And then Mark DuPont goes on to say, and you know what's really interesting about that church in Southern California? He goes, they're kingdom focused. They're kingdom focused because they actually care for the poor, they care for the disenfranchised, and they're going to meet the needs of the others. And he talked about church culture versus kingdom culture. And he said, church culture only cares about us. What can we do to have a better time together as a church? Kingdom culture is, how can we change the world? Yeah. And Mark DuPont was basically saying, you want to be a part of a church that wants to change the world. You want to be a part of a church that celebrates an Apostle Paul, saving people, setting people free, preaching the kingdom, preaching the gospel, bringing people to Christ, telling them, can't we all just get along and have the mind of Christ? Can't we all just do what Jesus wants us to do and celebrate what he's done for us and live according to his standards and be the testimony of the new covenant that Jesus wants us to be? So why don't you stand with me? I'm certain that the Holy Spirit has talked to every one of you today. Not because of my moralist words or lack thereof. The Holy Spirit has talked to you about something today. Because I think that's what the Holy Spirit does. Is he may even reminded you of something that was totally off topic, but God was talking to you. We may be reflecting on the Philippian church, reflecting on what Paul did, 
reflecting on what Jesus Christ has done in your own life or what you want him to do in your own life. And it's Jesus that needs to do the work in your heart and it's Jesus that needs to do the work in your mind so that you become the person that God wants you to become and he created you to be. No man can do that for you. It's your purely your business with God. So as we get to this point in the meeting, it's how then are you going to encounter God in a place in humility? Paul told us that Jesus is the most humble man even the humility that it took to get on the cross. I want to say one last thing in consideration for you is that I want to tell you that in humility you can handle suffering, but only in your pride does it become exacerbated. Your pride will make your suffering last longer than necessary. So if you lay your life down in humility before the Father, you will find yourself being conformed to the image of Christ, which actually what is the new covenant all about, is eating and drinking of the blood of Jesus and being conformed into his image. So if you want to be conformed more into the image of the Son, I ask you to come forward. This will be the business that you will do between your heart and God. You'll say, God... This is where I stand. Maybe you want somebody to pray for you. If you do, ask for prayer. If you don't want prayer, if you just want to do business with God, come up here and do business with God. Because God wants to do business with you. He wants to do business with us. Every opportunity we'll give him. So Father, I thank you and I praise you for the scriptures that give us the light to see who you are. And I thank you and praise you for your amazing presence, your Panim, your Yeshua, Jesus who lives, the Father who lives, God who cares, who always has been and always will be and always cares. Father, I thank you for this morning. I ask for your blessing on this church blessing on his family and your blessing on this community in Jesus name amen
Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you have a great week. If you had an encounter during this service, we would love to hear about it in the comments. And for more information, next steps, check our website out at vineyardowlin.org. Thank you. Thank you.